Dave, listen, before yeah. we start this episode of Dadville, I want to share something with you that has completely changed my life. You ready? Yeah. Two words. Okay. Our friendship. Fr- friendship, yeah. Okay, so there are two things that right. have changed okay. my life. Okay. Uh, that's number one. Oh, thank you. Number two, methodical coffee. Ooh. I'm drinking it right now. Can you I try, try it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. A <laughs> oh, little tear. <laughs> Ooh, that got me. Jeez. I please. teared up my first time, too. Mm. It's now my go-to coffee. Should be. Methodical roast their coffee to best express the life it lived, Mm. right? The place, the weather, the soil, and to honor the skilled people who cultivated it. I feel like when I taste it, I can, it's hard to explain. It's Mm -hmm. it's like I'm sitting on a beach, right? a beautiful sunrise, and there's rolling waves. There's a little dolphin that just jumped out of the water named Carlos. He's winking. And when he winks, something in me knows goodness. And Carlos is drinking the coffee, too. Well, that's assumed, of course, so methodical offers a wide variety of flavor profiles they range from like the classics that are bold and chocolatey they got contemporary that are medium bodied you know and fruity Ooh, okay all the way to the avant-garde you know that pushes the envelope yeah that's I, I want that let's let's yeah. get weird here well you can tell methodical must roast coffee to order because those feel like the freshest beans possible oh they are so visit methodicalcoffee.com for more information you can use the discount code dadbill for 10 percent off your first order. Doing it right now because I need to start my day off with that cup of coffee every day. That's methodicalcoffee.com. And don't forget the discount code DADMILL. Great, here we go. Okay, no more joking around. No more joking around. Actually, just a lot of joking around now. So um, we're excited today here on Dadville. One of our one of our um, guests who lives probably feet away from both. <laughs> <laughs> An esteemed colleague. <laughs> An esteemed colleague. Uh, a member now twice. He has two tickets into Dadville with two kids, which is, um, and, and the new one's like, sh- she's still, she's still young, right, Matt? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like 10 months, I think. 10 months. 10, 11, 10 months. 10 months. Oh, that's maybe the best start to a dad we've ever had. Ten months in three days, actually. Well, you came. Oh, uh, there you day. go. That was the fix. Well Way done. to save that. Um, so, so this is the fun one. So, um, we, you know, Matt has uh, Mr. Matt Carney, who's our guest today. He's already been referenced in the podcast, um, which kind of started a little bit of a turf war here in Twelve South. <laughs> uh, there was some beef. There was some beef that was happening. There was some gangs that were starting getting. It was kind of our first Dadville drama. <laughs> Hopefully not not the last. <laughs> Hashtag Dadville drama. We reference Matt in that one of Matt's sort of like spiritual gifts is how he always <laughs> looks cool. Um, and John and I feel very a very kindred spirit between the both of us that we do not always feel cool. Well, and there's a lot of emotions that that it brings about in my heart because there's intimidation, there, but there's also inspiration, and I. <laughs> I think it was Rector's interview. It's a fine line between those two. It's basically the same thing. They're becoming the same thing. Uh, we we had our interview with Ben Rector, and we were talking about how we just don't we've we've almost just let ourselves completely go. And I said the only times that I really get it together is when I run into Matt Carney <laughs> at a coffee shop here in our neighborhood. That happens, thankfully for my wardrobe, it happens pretty often. And then for the next 48 to 72 hours, I really get it together. <laughs> I might even go to Zara.com for a second. And, and then it just it falls off. 
Uh, bro, I mean, Zara, uh, that's an interesting move. I like that. <laughs> John, you're probably you thinking, oh, I haven't been to Zara.com <laughs> since 1998. But that's where I you are, do, John. I don't do .com well, all any of it, actually. See, I'm that's the secret, isn't it? Really you're on .org? Only .org? I, yes, only dot, <laughs> .gov, really, actually. is my <laughs> Backslash edu. <laughs> So that, that that so so this is one of the reasons that we're excited. You know, there's a lot of reasons we're excited. Matt's with us today, and that'll unfold as the as the episode does. What I, what we always start with, Matt. I know you've listened to every single one of our podcasts, so you're just you know how this goes. Um, but what we like to do is is kind of we start with what we call a brag sheet because it's it's just fun to sort of um, dwell on the accomplishments of our guests and just amazing things all you guys have done. Um, so I'm going to read them off, and you might want to buckle up because this is this is going to be a good slice of of. Um, Whatever the opposite of humble pie is, proud pie. Can we start a band called Proud Pie? Proud Pie, and it's got to be funky. Okay, um, so Matt Carney, here we go. One point six million albums sold. Two, and I want to really? tell you too. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's what's funny is what is news to you. <laughs> you, you. You would be amazed how this. We do this with every guest in, in the music world. Is this like and, when you go to networth.com? It's like totally accurate. <laughs> Network. That's where we get all our info. <laughs> That's um, where we get all our questions. Too. Well, here's what's fun is they actually have pluses in front of it. So it's not, it's like they're even flexing on like, it could be more than this. Um, okay. So 1.6 million albums sold, 2.5 billion global streams. That's with a B folks. 517 million on-demand streams, 2.8 billion with a B airplay audience, 1.6 million social audience. I mean, that's I like when I say that, Matt. How do you feel? Like, how, what hits you when I say that? Uh, I feel like there should be an asterisk by some of those stats, actually, because I don't know if they're correct. That seems like a lot. But well, here's uh, the thing: there should be an asterisk next to 1.6 million albums sold, and then you go to the bottom of the page, and it said the equivalent of 1.6 albums sold in 2021 is like 50 billion albums sold in 1985. Yeah, that's true. That's what the asterisk would say. And if you compare it to NSYNC's heyday, it's like four albums. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> if it was 2007, no. Uh, man, it's, uh, that is, that's crazy to hear. I mean, I, I can't believe I, my last job was Starbucks. So I, every day I get to do this seems like some crazy ride that I am incredibly lucky to still be able to do. Yeah, I think that's why, I mean, I can't speak for John. I think that's one of the reasons I love reading that is the first thing. One, because I think for anyone that doesn't know who any of the, you guys are, it's a fun little like, oh. But I think, too, it, it is, that is always the response. I think everybody sort of goes like, whoa, that's, you know, like, I don't know that we've read it once and anybody been like, yeah, I mean, actually, some of those numbers need to be updated. Need to be, yeah. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> you know, that was 2017. Yeah, okay. it's, it's more yeah. now. Yeah. Well, so one of the things I wanted to kind of start with is, is I don't know if you remember this. I think the first time that we ever like got a ticket to kick it, I think Ed and I were working on one of my records, Cash, uh -huh. and we were in Cool Springs. Whoa, wait. Okay. I, I I will think I'll even go as far as we had just eaten at Genghis Grill. Bro, you were in that car. That was the fateful day. So that was like is. a very monumental day in my life, actually. So so we you and I knew each other like in passing, like every but I think you were new to town. I'd only been here a couple years. I, I don't think we knew each other. I think I just heard of you. I was okay. like a fan of you and I was like, hey man, maybe we knew like no, I, th I think that was the others. And so I think Ed and I had either gotten through eating or we were going in to eat or something. And you were there. I don't, I think you were by, I don't think you were with Rod. I, I think you were by yourself. Yep. And, um, and so we start talking. You're like, well, man, I got some mixes. 
And we were like, yes. And dude, I remember, I'm, I'm not saying this just to, to blow your head up, but I remember sitting in that car and you played train wreck for us. And I, and I maybe like a couple other tunes, you may have played, I can't remember what you played, but, but I know it was like a couple songs. And I remember hearing that song and thinking, this is one of the coolest just things I've ever heard. Cause it was like, you know, the spoken word with the choruses that were sung and that track, I remember I uh, made you laugh. I remember we talked about this like a decade ago. Cause I actually like hit you up and was like, dude, I can't find that song. And you were like, yeah, I think it's like gone away. And I was like, well, no, <laughs> it doesn't need to go away. Cause it wasn't it like a bonus song or, or, or it was on your first record before you got signed and then you got signed and yes. something like that. Uh, and I didn't like that song for a while, so I removed it off of actually nothing. That's what it was. Nothing left to lose, which was the kind of like became a culmination of this independent record we had done. That was what you were hearing, and then right. that kind of that got me signed. And then we wrote some new songs, and that became my first record. And weirdly, I didn't. I wasn't in the train wreck at that moment. And then, uh, but I actually was listening to the other day. It's good. I should put that. It's, dude, it's so good. I can't tell you how good that song. But anyway, I just remember like meeting you. It was such a fun hang. Um, and then, um, and then I remember this is one of my favorite moments. We get back and this is such an Ed Cash moment because he was like, dude, how great was that? And he goes, that I think I got to buy one of those. But would you find out what a, a chord that was? Because yes. that's the best sounding system I've ever heard in my life. Like he talked about that sound system for like Bro, five that, minutes. That's what I remember. I So that was <laughs> a, such a vivid memory to me because A, Genghis Grill was amazing. You could <laughs> get whatever you wanted on in a bowl. But honestly, I remember sitting in the parking lot and that was, um, so that was a season of my life when I had, uh, made an independent record and we had spent like $20,000 to us was like a massive deal. It was like this big investment. And I remember sitting in the car and that was back when I was very audaciously like, want to hear my demos? I probably was playing. I was like, come out to my car. Let me play yes. you my record. Yes. <laughs> Which, Which I've fun. told my daughters, if, if anyone ever says that to you, you run. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. It's all about contact. Want to go uh, the demos? But and I remember Ed. I remember clearly Ed kept saying like, "Is this just like a normal Honda Accord stereo? Like, did you?" And I was like, <laughs> "He's like, are these like stock speakers?" <laughs> and I, which was a compliment, especially to Robert, the guy I was working on, because he's such a good mixer. He mixed my whole new yeah. record, and um, but no, it was very vivid because that honestly, I remember Wurtz got heard some of it through that moment and then he passed it on to Scott Clayton at CAA or Tim beating at CAA yep. he passed it on to Scott Clayton and that was literally literally that car was like the beginning of my trajectory in any sort of like business sense of having industry people because it basically ultimately got me signed to aware records and it was literally that car ride and that uh th that listening party well, if you if you had been in a Toyota Camry, it would have maybe strange. never would have happened for you. <laughs> uh, All I want to see, Matt, is that your next tour is sponsored by Honda. Honda. They're like, we heard your story on Deadville, and we're sending you a flock of Hondas, whatever um, their stereos are called. Yeah, but you know it's so funny, I, and, and I love I love how you said that. I think that's one of my favorite things about living in this town. Um, is just all of us are so simpatico. Like it's just everybody's this soup that sort of gets mixed together. And and 
all of our stories are always somehow intertwined. And I love that mm-hmm. about this town. I mean, I, I was, I was the same as you, you know, I, I still do this. Like I think maybe a year ago, I gave a CD to somebody somewhere, like literally And 41 years old. I think I saw somebody at a restaurant. I was like, dude, that's so-and-so. And I, I like had us, I mean, I'm still doing that. You know what I mean? It's like, and if you hadn't done that, we'd have never sat in that car. So, so it's, it's, it's fun having you here. So, 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 you know, we kind of like to, we, we'd like to take it back. We like to take it back to the old school. Um, so this is one thing I'm kind of fascinated about you. I don't know many people from the Northwest. <laughs> I just don't. It's like it, I, I, when I meet people who are like, no, I like grew up in Seattle, grew up in Portland. I grew up in Eugene. I really feel like you just have to tell like, just talk about that for a while. But you're from Eugene. Yes, Eugene, Oregon. And, and you live there until you, until, <laughs> I love you threw that in. Um, and, then, and then you were there until, I mean, you did school, you did college, which we'll talk yeah. about in a second, but, but that, that's where you were from until here. Yes. Okay. Um, so what was it, what, it, what is it like growing up in Oregon? Like what, what, what was your family like? Like what was sort of like, you know, what's the vibe? Well, uh, well, I mean, I, I would, I'm a sixth generation Oregonian. So on my mother's Holy side, cow. yeah, they come, they were like, settlers you know covered wagon we played Oregon trail as a kid that was my family we actually have a journal from them traveling across the country and like holy cow one of the brothers traded his sisters to like um, <laughs> native american for a horse for and they had to go back and like get her and like he got whipped by his dad like literally oh, i would hope so yeah he got whipped uh is what they said and then oh my um, gosh. Th- they went and settled in portland which was really cool outside of portland oh so, so they didn't go to eugene no, they, they were in Portland. Yeah, they were like up somewhere north, like around Portland, and then eventually they grew. My mom grew up in um, Ashland or Medford, Oregon, which is in southern Oregon. So through those six generations, they end up down there. And then um, my parents got married uh, in Hawaii, barefoot on the beach. Which, that's another story. Um, <laughs> after like they had known each other for four weeks, um, oh, and they, wow! And they moved up to to Eugene, and that's kind of. My dad has was like a hippie-ish guy, but he had also gone to law school and he they started he started his practice in Eugene. And yeah, so I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, which is like a great little two hundred thousand person town. University of Oregon's there. Nike. Yeah, Nike yeah. started started there. That is true. Yeah. I mean, is Oregon. is that being from there, is Nike because is Nike still there? Yeah. Uh well Nike's world headquarters are in Portland, but yeah, you Nike started on the track in Eugene, Oregon, where Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight That's right. started mm-hmm. making shoes with waffle irons, and they just started putting them on the University of Oregon track team. They started making just custom shoes for them, and Phil Knight was a tiger rep for those shoes, and he started using his channels of tiger to, like, start you making Nike's tigers. tigers, bro. And, uh, yeah, so Nike's deeply a part of Eugene's culture and running and the yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, but like you didn't grow up with a bunch of Nike kid, like employees' kids, because that would have all been in Portland at that. Yeah, point. they would have been. They would have moved. Okay. To Portland. But okay. but I grew up with a lot of friends who like, like the Jacobas were like the first lawyer for them, so they're you know set for multi generations. Yeah. So yeah. there was definitely like friends that went back maybe a couple of generations, like that when they were starting the shoes. I some of those that those people and those families. So what was your, what was your family like? Like what's the, what were the carnies like growing up? Uh, my, well, my, my parents were interesting. You know, they like my, my, <laughs> I feel like the fact that your dad was a hippie with a law degree, that is the Northwest. Yeah. That's, that, that sums it up. 
that sums it up. It's like hippie-ish, but we but we've got a law degree. Well, and, and he was from my my dad was from Rochester, New York originally. And um I actually wrote a song about it called Rochester, which is one of mm. my favorite songs I've ever written. But it's like his story. He basically grew up in a super rough family, uh, somehow ended up in the army, and then um followed Pink Floyd through Europe for a while. No way. And then uh, heard, like he said, almost an audible voice one day. He was really, like, he was instantly sober. He'd been high for, like, months. He was, like, instantly sober. He said, go home, get a job, get married. And he sold some, like, camera lenses, flew home back to Rochester. And he met a guy who said, hey, man, if you come to Hawaii, um, I will give you a job. Uh, And before that, he had gone to UNLV and... Right when he got out of the army, he sorry he went to UNLV on a golf scholarship, got his law degree. Then he went over to Europe, followed Pink Floyd forever. Um, and he's a guy said, "Hey, if you come to Hawaii, I'll give you a job." So he wasn't quite ready to settle down, but he flew from Europe to Hawaii. And that's one- also another thing that I've told my daughters to to run. <laughs> if someone's like, "Hey, you fly to Hawaii, I'll give you a job." Yeah, right. Run. He was a deckhand on a snorkel boat, actually. So he was like, you know, the guy, if you've ever been on a snorkel boat where they like do the cruises and there's the guy that's like telling the jokes and he's like, here's how you uh, wash your glasses and you spit in them and then you rub the thing, you know, like, but he's got like one liners for everything. That was my dad. Yeah. And he would lead kind of the tourists around the reef. And- oh, please tell me that's how I met your mom. Please, please. So please. one day this lady walked down the pier who was a mermaid on a glass bottom boat. <laughs> This whole thing sounds like a Fairly Brothers movie. It, I know it's it's it is not fiction, uh, or I mean, uh, yeah. Um, and my mom, my my mom's parents had gotten a divorce, and she took off to go to Hawaii, and she got a job as a as a as a mermaid on a glass bottom boat, which meant so the boat goes over the reef, and she would swim under and like do the hula as like the tourists were like looking down at the reef. She'd hold up like a starfish and be like. <laughs> This is unbelievable. And they and they one day crossed paths and they had a mutual friend and some guy's like, hey, this is Shannon. And my dad literally said to himself, that's the woman you're going to marry. And Jeez. they were engaged four weeks later and married six weeks later on the beach in Hawaii. And yeah. That was the first time that he saw her while she was underwater in her mermaid costume because that's gonna leave a mark i mean you're gonna remember that uh i hope so i i <laughs> let's just say it was let's just say she was holding a starfish when he knew <laughs> that that was it someday uh, that starfish would be his heart <laughs> <laughs> it's so that's interesting to me that like so your dad goes he grows up in rochester yeah goes into the army yep. goes to law school yeah. Then all of a sudden he's in Europe following Pink Floyd around. Those are two like decisions well made from two paths. different people. Who doesn't know or that like, story? Or you're like really smart because you he like got his law he got it he went through law school and then he's yeah. like now, now I'm going to be a hippie. Like he got in the right order actually. Like I've earned like, this. Well like yeah, like he's like if it doesn't work out as a hippie, I can just go be a lawyer. As the other way, like you go too deep and you're like hippie guy for five years, it's harder to go right. to law school at that point, probably. <laughs> That's true. That's a very pragmatic way to look at it. Yeah. He said he was like a pretend hippie. But um, yeah, they moved to Oregon and and um and to go to be back, was that because I mean your mom's family was there, like that was a familiar place kind of thing? 
Yeah, he went back to, they went back to San Francisco for a minute where my dad had lived during law school and they worked in a diner together. And then I think my dad passed the bar. Um, and they, and my mom was like, I, I can't do this. I gotta, I'm sixth generation Oregonian. I gotta, I gotta get back to my hometown. And so I think my mom was a big driving force for them heading back to Oregon. And they went up there, I think, I don't even know if it was like a trip and they ended up being like, okay, this is where we're going to go. And so, um, and my dad needed a place to kind of start a practice. And I think Eugene was the right size of town. And they bought this little house literally where you could like touch both walls with, you know, two hands. And, uh, my dad just said he figured out how to start his own practice and he was, um, a wreck every day. He was so nervous. He said, but, um, man, and but then yeah. when, when, when did they have y'all? When, when did the kids enter the equation? So yeah, they had my brother and then I was shortly after that. And so, yeah, I kind of grew up in this home where, um, there was a lot of, uh, rough edges, I would say in my parents, you know, my dad had come from a really difficult family. Uh, and my mom's parents had just gotten divorced, but they both also had like, we're, we're in this kind of real spiritual awakening moment mm. in the Northwest, like around some of the like early Jesus movement stuff with like, where like Bob Dylan was becoming a Christian and like these other people. Mm -hmm. So they had this really cool, like kind of, um, non-religious idea that there was this really gracious God and they had mm. both radically kind of gone through that thing. And so, um, they were kind of conundrums where they were like rough people, but also really uh, humbled and beautifully grace-filled and just mm. like had this really, so I grew up in this kind of evolving understanding of, of healing and people were going on. My mom ended up becoming a therapist and working with families and counseling. And my dad would just yeah. always a super tender hearted guy, just, you know, working on his own demons as he went through life. So I kind of grew up in the middle of that, of this really beautiful, I look back and I was like, wow, there was like, you know, crazy stuff that goes on like any family, but there was so much love and so much grace and so much like kind of commitment to the journey of getting better as people and understanding their own shortcomings. And, and also the kind of hippie Eugene thing where there's like artists in my family. My, my uncle was a painter. He also built houses. My grandma was a painter. Um, there was a lot of creative people. So that was just like really celebrated and mm. partly growing up in that, in that Eugene kind of hippie culture is it's, it's some of that stuff's really looked fondly at. So it wasn't considered mm. something ridiculous, you know, like be, pursuing an art was like looked at as like a good thing, not mm, yeah. as like a liability. You know, it's so profound to hear you say, and I, I feel like I need to be told this every morning. And you, and you just said that this even in passing, because I think it's, it's something that you grew up with, but I think it's so profound how powerful it would be for us as parents. If we do what you said, which is to, be, to remember that we are always living in evolution. You know what I mean? I think it's easy for me to feel like I am who I am and I parent that way. I friend that way. I perform that way. I write that way. But I love, that's such a beautiful <clears throat> way to say that. That really like, that pinged me really hard. Like this idea that like your parents were more obviously doing that because they had gone through this real spiritual reformation. But even for people like us who may have done that long ago and you kind of feel like, oh, I kind of know who I am and I'm doing my thing. And yeah. I think especially per this podcast, how we think about our kids, what a great thing for me to hear and to be challenged by is that I'm still in massive evolution. Yeah. Like every day, like I'm not, 
Dave, the dad, who's this is my dad was like this. It's like, no, he was learning. Yeah. He was always changing. He was getting better. He was, that's a really profound thought to me. That's a, I love how you said that about your parents, because I think that may have been more obvious to you, but I think we're all still doing that. Hopefully, you know what I mean? Well, and I think that the way the trajectory of their lives was they kind of, you know, they didn't grow up in this culture where you kind of like pretend like, okay, we do all, we're all good people. We do the right thing. Like they had been in really rough things and they had that had changed. So this kind of journey was like to be committed to changing and growing was just Mm -hmm. like part of like, it was accepted as normal. It wasn't like he had to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. I mean, even my daddy's 75. I remember two years ago, he he was like in counseling, trying to work through some of his issues Mm -hmm. with his parents. And he was like, he sat down one day with this letter he had written and was like crying, reading this letter about seasons of his life where he was walking in fear. And he really like finally is understanding how that's really defined his life in a lot of ways he didn't like at and 75 yeah he's like 75 crying to me and he's like working on himself and i was just like i remember being so inspired like dude that's like that's just kind of what was modeled to me was like you you don't have it figured out you're um you know you're a mess in a lot of ways i think that like that pressure not to be awesome and have it figured out and <laughs> Some of that is that that kind of approachable, vulnerable thing that does maybe coming from Oregon and that part mm-hmm. of the country, you don't have as much of that kind of social, like keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, everyone feels that pressure, but I think some of the like social country clubby, I don't know, social ladder, some of the stuff wasn't as prevalent in there in the yeah. communities we grew up in, maybe. I don't know. Mm. Well, it's like yeah. spiritual growth without the the structure of of sort of the country club or the church or like this is what yeah. we are so we already we have a shorthand for all this stuff yeah and i mean and we definitely grew up in like this really cool like kind of hippie church thing that was it wasn't that hippie that sounds wrong because but it was pretty normal but and it was so, a vibrant part of our lives too because it was kind of these ex-hippies that were like yeah forming a church together basically um so that was a huge. So part did of your life. dad grow up in the church? Like when you say he heard this no, voice, no. this audible voice, what? Who did he think that was? He grew up. He grew up Catholic, but he would say just that was more of like a cultural thing that he. Yeah. He he just knew nuns were mean and they like beat the crap out of him <laughs> in school. Um, but no, he didn't. Yeah. He, he didn't really have any sort of. Neither did my mom. Honestly, like yeah. he didn't really come from any worldview like that. John, Dave, we're both right. Spring is springing as we speak, and my wife, Annie, is persistent about spring cleaning. Mm-hmm. The biggest challenge is she always makes me go in the closet and chuck a bunch of stuff I'm not using. And then there's that sad moment when I get the jeans up, and they're a little more snug than they right. were last year. Mm-hmm. And I start crying in front of her, and she wants to leave the closet immediately. I know. Yeah. She sends pictures. But, oh, wow. you know, we typically try to tidy up our place around spring as well, okay. like everybody else. Yep. But I don't mind it no because i get to power wash things have you ever power washed lately yes, yes. that is one chore that is no chore at all no, that's a gift. And speaking of tidying up now is the perfect time to get your life in order as well what you did there i like yep. that one of the ways that i'm doing that is by protecting my family with life insurance with my friends at policy genius who are awesome with helping with that policy genius is where you can compare top insurers in one place and 50 percent or more on life insurance policies i love that first you head to policygenius.com 
Paracoach.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need in Paracoach. You can find policies for as little as $15 a month. That's crazy. And you might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. I don't like in-person medical exams. Me too. Me too. They're my least favorite kind of in-person medical exam. Uh, sorry. And that's not even the best part. Yeah. All of the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice, they're all totally free. Free, I said. That's what I said. Well, I'm, I, listen, I'm not pushing back. While you're tidying up your house for spring, why not get your life insurance organized too? You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing your loved ones are taken care of. Go to PolicyGenius.com to get started. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Something that I think is so fascinating, um, listening to you talk about your dad, which I always wonder about how these things, even on an osmotic level, we as kids pick these things up. But you talked about music with him following Pink Floyd across, and obviously with you being a musician now. But something I think is really fascinating that, I, I, you know, me being a huge soccer fan, that I I, I didn't – I was telling John before we, we – um, we were kind of getting together this morning to make sure we knew what we were doing. But one of the things I said that I think is so interesting about you is that you went on a golf, uh, on a, he went on a golf scholarship, but you went on a soccer scholarship. So there are these weird things that, you know, that I'm always like, I wonder if, if that was something that you thought, well, music is cool because dad followed a band across when he was an adult and, and sports are cool because dad went and did his golf scholarship. You know what I mean? Like how these things sort of can, without us knowing it sometimes, or it becomes, doable because it's already happened in their yeah. life you know what i mean so so tell me about the soccer scholarship like what what that is a wikipedia fact that's been blown out of proportion um i did play soccer in college at okay. chico state university yep scholarship is a very loose <laughs> term for like i think i got help with like some of my books and stuff hey, but like, it counts but it's, it, a lo- it's a lowercase s but it's still an s i mean it definitely i don't even know if yeah, uh, I definitely played soccer in college. I was, um, I, what's funny is people in Eugene don't know me as a musician at all. Or went, during that season of life, high school, I was a soccer player. I was an athlete. I was an art. I, you know, I was like the weird artist that like hung out in um, the fine art part of our high school. I was way into art, like photography and painting and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so I, that was the that was the only thing that was maybe not the normal jock, but but I was a soccer player and went to college and, uh, you know, thought I would, that was my passion. It's what I'd always done. Played soccer, played for a really, um, awesome club team in Oregon that we went on to all these tournaments. And, but I got to college and like, didn't know what else to do. So I, um, became an English major and started writing. And I found that as a soccer thing, you know, you get to college and it's like, all of a sense a part-time job and your coach is kind of not very nice. And, and, uh, I don't know. I learned pretty quickly that we wasn't, I, th- I think I peaked my first week of my freshman year. Honestly, that was literally like the best I ever did was like early on. Um, and then music slowly started. I started really not doing music till college and writing around that season of my life. How how did like what what was the entry into music like like what what made you think I'm gonna start playing guitar I'm gonna start playing piano I'm, I should sing this song that I'm writing like how did that happen Well, I, music was such a deep part of I would say and this came from my upbring, upbringing was music was just like really celebrated and I wouldn't mm-hmm. say my parents were like 
super music heads or something, but often my dad would like be blaring music on Sunday mornings. Like Paul Simon's Graceland is like the most vivid memory I have as a kid musically. But I also remember Michael Jackson's like Thriller and James Taylor and um and it was just really celebrated. My dad would could kind of be goofy sometimes. So he'd like play music in the morning. We'd be making pancakes and like Michael Jackson would be bumping. And I remember just really celebrating music. And then I deeply fell in love with it to where I'd be up in my room listening to like Bobby Brown and like crying about Tinderoni, you know, like I had a Tinderoni and I'd be like, I'd literally be in tears. So there was some sort of pipeline that music really deeply, deeply affected me. So it was just, I was such a fan of music and I, um, it was such a huge part of my heart that I, I just kind of like picked up a guitar in college. Basically my roommate had a guitar and learned a few chords. And honestly, it was so hard for me to cover other people's music because I wasn't very good that I, it was easier for me just to start kind of writing songs. <laughs> it was like, mm-hmm. just kind of two chords and say some stuff. And like, that's way easier than like whatever John Mayer's doing. I was like, I don't know how to do all that. So mm-hmm. it was probably Dave Matthews actually at that, that time. John Mayer wasn't even a thing yet, but um yeah, so I just kind of, it was like build the ship as you make it or as you go kind of deal with mm-hmm. music. I just was such a fan of it. And I, um, I don't really have a good story of how I got into it other than I just, it just kind of happened. Stole my roommate's guitar and literally would go sit for hours playing two chords and writing songs. And that was like probably my sophomore year in college. And, and you, yeah. I mean, the other thing that's so interesting about you growing up in Portland is, I mean, you were kind of there maybe on the back end of it, but still in that just Northwestern music explode. I mean, that was explosion. That was like yeah. Nirvana, Pearl Jam. I mean, granted, that's more Seattle, but still like w- weren't, Oh, there were a couple bands that were Portland bands that were huge. Meat Pub is a thing that's still Seattle, but there were like, some of those. Like Modest Mouse was one, and then like uh, Decemberists. And... Yeah, that stuff was like happening back then. Yes. Um, honestly, though, I wasn't listening to that. I was listening to like Tribe Called Quest and like mm. De La Soul. And um, yeah, the Northwest scene, I, I kind of knew some. There was a band called The Daddies. They were like the swing band that was a big deal to me. Do you remember them? No. Cherry Pop and Daddy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> them. Zoot Suit, Riot, Riot. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Like it was like swing music for some reason. We go to all their concerts, which is um, funny. But um, yeah, we didn't. I mean, that was music was really celebrated, obviously, around. And especially like all my friends' parents were like ex-hippies. So like the like the. Beatles and that Bob Dylan and that thing was always being played. Bob Marley was such a big influence in my high school. Everyone listened to it all the time. There were like cults that literally there followed him. There was a uprising mural. The cover of his uprising album was on one of our high school walls. Um, so yeah, but like the, mostly I was listening to hip hop back then. I wasn't listening to, mm-hmm. to, to that stuff. Which is funny. Cause again, yeah, that's one of the things I told John, we were talking about today. Like I remember meeting you and being so blown away. Like I talked about with train wreck where I was like, here's this guy that's doing this rap spoken word thing with a guitar, which for me was like alien sorcery. I was like, <laughs> what is this amazingness? Um, so it makes sense that that's what you would have been listening to, because obviously mm-hmm. that's so much of how you started was that sort of dual thing you were doing where you were singing, but you could also do these sort of spoken word raps that was, it was so unique, unique and you were so good at, you know, like you had a real skill set for it. So it makes a lot of sense that you weren't like cranking Pearl Jam 10, you were listening to, you know, 
you know, I left my wallet in El Segundo yeah, <laughs> as yeah. opposed to, you know, like smells like teen spirit. Or I definitely had that, that program record and loved it. Um, but yeah, I was leaning more towards that world, weirdly like East coast stuff. Yeah. That's so fascinating. And so you, 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 you go to college, we know you make the trek here and then you meet Annie though, after you'd been here a while, right? Your life kind of music starts going, you know, but that's not, that's kind of like a little later into the, you being here, right? Yeah, I'd been here 10 years, maybe. Um, oh, really? That when long? I met, uh, eight years when I met my wife. Yeah, okay. we, I was here for a while trying to, um, yeah, I was working at Starbucks. I was just trying to, I, I got here early. It was it was a road trip. A friend of mine in college, when we started writing music, he wanted to start recording my songs. And so we recorded a few when I would be, when I would go home for Thanksgiving. And he said, hey, man, I'm going to move to Nashville. Uh, I, I had some inroads to like, be a producer will you help me drive across the country if you do then we can write we can record some of your songs and so we drove packed up the truck we drove across the country slept in the back of it got to nashville slept in a parking lot in cool springs for a while and like it was like this fun college summer thing we were gonna do and i was gonna be here for a month maybe get a job for the summer and um we started recording songs and uh some people like little small figures in the music industry back then but still to me heard some of those first recordings and were like dude this is good you should think about it and i it was enough for me to call home and be like guys i'm I'm dropping out of school i'm gonna move to nashville and be a musician and i'm kind of yeah how did they react uh weirdly like i remember my dad was like okay can you get into school somewhere because what what year of school would this have been? This would have been my junior year. So this was going okay. into my senior year. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was like, well, can you go to school? And um, I, but weirdly it was like, okay, if you need to do this. There were enough, like, I, I remember like um, Toby Mack heard some of my demos and he really liked it. Some other people. So there was enough of like, they're like, wait, I think I heard of that guy. You know, like he likes your music, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. That it was enough that like, okay, this isn't totally insane, but this is pretty insane. Well, you know, it's funny it, it, at the risk of interrupting. It, one of the things that was so cool about sitting in that car, and I know Ed, it really thumped Ed, was you played Nothing Left to Lose. And it was so obvious. It was like, oh, that's a, that's like a hit. Like, it, so it's one thing if you meet a kid, me, you, whoever those guys were at the time, and they're playing these songs, you're like, yeah, this is cool. But then it's another thing. When you've got a song that people are like, um, hmm, Yo, come come by Monday and let's sit down. Because <laughs> I remember Ed, I think you and Ed even got together after that and hung and pl- you played some more tunes for him. Because I remember him being like, I remember driving home and he was like, dude, that that song, that's like a, that's a song. Like he's, he, he's got, so I mean, you know, I, I think to, to encourage and, and bolster the story even more, I think it's not just you're great, but I think especially once you had written that song. I think you had that golden ticket in some ways, you know, that that's not just a cool meeting when they're like, well, keep us updated with what you're doing. They're yeah. going, Hey, can, um, can you send that song? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, it becomes that whole thing, you know? But I'm yeah. curious what your parents, I'm curious about two things. One, did you feel like you needed to sell this to your parents sort of? And and two, what was their kind, or were they always just like, you do whatever you want. You can go to law school or you can follow Pink Floyd around Europe. You do whatever you want. I mean, I'm guessing that that's the, the outlook that you kind of grew up 
under. Definitely that was celebrated more than normal. I remember in, in our high school, they put up this wall, this this picture on the on the school hall, and it was like of the map of the U.S., and they put pins in where all the kids were going. And it was like celebrated to leave your town. Yeah. yeah. There was no like go to state, you know, like that was just not part of Eugene, Oregon, weirdly. So yeah, my parents were the same way. You know, it was like the, my brother went in backpack through Europe, you know, between his senior year and his freshman year of college, like that was celebrated. So there was this kind of like, man, this is your life. You got to figure it out. Do your yeah. thing. I, I remember my dad being like, if you need to do this, that's cool. You're on your own. Like, like go figure it out financially. Um, yeah. But if mm-hmm. you need to do this, you got to do it. And so weirdly, I didn't feel like I had to sell it to them. I think I had just enough going like with some people and some names they'd heard of that it helped my cause. But I, it, I wasn't, I was going like, I mean, I got in the truck and drove to Nashville without, it was like, this is what I'm doing for the summer. And, yeah. um, which is pretty privileged in some ways that like, I could just do that. And like, we had the means as me and Robert to drive across the country. And like, I don't know, I, there, there is such a, like a culture that my parents creatively set up that was like, whatever you need to do creatively was celebrated. I remember I took like airbrush lessons at one point in my life, like from this dude that like looking back, <laughs> I I was, I was a sophomore in high school, in college. No, I didn't drive. So I must've been a freshman. No, I was a sophomore. He like the first meeting, he's like, meet me at this art store. My mom dropped me off. We went in, I watched him steal like airbrush paint, put him in his pocket <laughs> We drove oh back to God. we drove back to his house. His girlfriend, a hundred percent, was a stripper. He told me, which, like, is there's that, and and which I don't think I passed on to my parents that information. Sure, um, and it wasn't like she, you wait on that. She, you wait on that detail. She, I mean, she's not like dancing around. I'm just saying, he just <laughs> mentioned mentioned it to me, and um, and then we're we're like working out of his apart. We like worked on this piece together, and he was teaching me how. And my mom, I think he drove me home or something. I was just like, some of that's just ridiculous and bad parenting, actually, if you break <laughs> it down. But they have created this Dude, sort of vibe. And you, when you get in that truck and you're driving to Nashville, you're like, no, no, no. This is the culmination of what you have taught me. I'm Dude, catching in on what you gave me. One, one day I went, so my senior year, I was going to visit my one of my best friends in the world, Marshall Roman, who was in New York for spring break. So they dropped me off at Eugene Airport and I had spring break because he was a freshman in college. He was my best friend. He was a year older than me. He was going to school and and uh, I was going to meet my brother in Boston and I was going to take a train to New York. My brother was going to school in Boston. I show up to, hey, that's pretty adventurous to let, you know, 18-year-old, but not crazy, go on a flight to New York, whatever. It's kind of a big deal, but my brother's there, best friend's there. Okay. Drop me off at the airport. They leave, have a great flight. Uh flight gets canceled and I call them and I'm sitting there and they're like, Hey man, the next time we're gonna be able to get you out is like four days from now. Well, I'm like, this is my spring break. I can't miss four days of it. That's like half the trip. And there were these two German guys there and they were, I heard them talking and they're like, I think we're going to rent a car and go to um, drive up to Seattle. And I remember like, I was like, Hey, if I chip in, can I ride with you guys up to Seattle? Cause there was a flight that was leaving Seattle that could get me there on time. I just remember hearing them talk about it. And I remember calling my mom and be like, hey, mom, um, so my flight's canceled. 
Um, but I met these two guys that are driving up to Seattle. It's a five-hour drive. Uh, do you mind if I, like, what do you think about me hitchhiking in the back seat with them and, like, them drop me off at the airport? And I remember her being like, okay, okay, um, let me think about this. She's like, hmm, you know, in my spirit, I feel like, yeah, this could be a good thing. I, yeah, I feel a piece about it. Why don't you just go ahead and, like, hitchhike up to Seattle? And I did, and they, I hitchhiked up to Seattle. I was in the back seat. They dropped, they dropped me off literally in the side of the road. I had to take a cab to, like, the airport, slept on the floor, got up and made it to my buddy's house just in time. And so, yeah, that was a culture that— That's amazing. Like, yeah. Which, looking back, I would probably not let my daughter do that, but— no, we're we're ticking a lot of boxes on things that I will never let my daughters do. Right, but 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 it did create this kind of like, um, this like, hey, you're in a you're a human, you're an adult, like you can fail, you can sink or swim. Yeah, and I, and, I and when I did that, I remember telling my mom, I was like, hey, I asked these guys if I could hitchhike with them, and they got more, they got kind of nervous. So I think it's okay if they're freaked out. If they're more freaked out than me, then right, 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 probably yeah. in good hands, you know. <laughs> I can just hear them now, like cut to 2021. And he's like, Gunter, do you remember when that boy got in the car? He, that was Matt Carney with the songs. Yes. Do you remember? Like, that's they're at every dinner party. Like, wait, here's a fun fact two truths and a lie, but one is the truth. <laughs> the best that part is-, is we got pulled over out of Seattle because they were, they were used to like driving in the Autobahn. So they're flying to get there. And and I and I pulled over and I'm in the back seat, they're in the front seat. And I go, I go, just speak German, just speak German. Just anything he says, just speak German. And so the cop pulls over and he's like, Hi, do you know how fast you're going? And he was like, Guten Das, you know, like he did the whole thing. And he's like, You're going too fast. And he was like, No, English. You know, he just like spoke German to him back and forth. And the guy's like, Hey, can you slow down? I'm like, and he's like, Oh, okay, slow down. And then he let him go. I was like, and they were they were like high-fiving me. They're like, yeah. The American knows what's up. You know, that I is something that I do tell my daughters to do. <laughs> yes. If you ever get pulled over, just speak German. I'm going to do that for sure. So my, uh, guten Tag, guten uh, Morgen, Hamburger, Switzerland. <laughs> that is great. So, so okay, so 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 you're in Nashville. You meet Annie. You're, you're bonkers about her. Was that yeah. was that was that sort of courtship an easy one? Was it labored? Was she in? Was she out? Did it take a while? Like, what was that sort of dating life like? Uh, I remember she didn't really care when we met. She doesn't remember when we met. She says she does, but I don't think she does. Um, <laughs> she was shopping at Anthropology. I was like, who's this? Wow, she's attractive. And, um, and I knew she was with a group of friends I knew. And I was like, hey, I'm Matt. We've met before, right? She goes, no, we haven't. You know, like. No, and, that was like, that was just a pickup line though. I mean, do you, no, you, I actually kind of like okay, okay. recognized her from, I thought I recognized her. I was like, hey, we met before. She goes, no. Like, from your dreams? Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, it was, um, I knew pretty, I, I knew pretty early on that I really thought something was special. I probably knew in the first like month that I would marry her. And then that freaked me out and it took me like a year to get back to that place. Cause I was like, Whoa. And your parents are like, you've been together for over four weeks. (laughs) Yes. Just just get married. Why aren't you married? (laughs) Totally. Let's. Let's talk about if that's your story, what that anxiety that creates in your child. Like, do I have to know? Like, right. Like, you're like, oh, you meet some girl. You're like, no, I feel nothing. We should know you're like, that. Dad, listen, I met this girl. I know. Let me just say, this. here's the thing. She wasn't, she's not a mermaid. And so it's really throwing me off. <laughs> He's like, mermaid or non-mermaid? <laughs> yeah. That's another non-mermaid. I don't know. <laughs> I'm really going my own here and not marrying women. 
um, we met and it was awesome. And like, you know, we came from two different worlds to talk about. She's from uh, Nashville and born and raised in a small town, Kosciuszko, which Dave, yeah. I mean, you know, like, yeah, you guys knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's that crazy. was a weird, that was the weird thing is that they, they were, you know, they went to the church that my dad passed. Like they were really close friends of ours, the Sims. And uh, so it was, a, it was such a trip when she was here and then it was really small world when her and Matt started dating. So I was like, wow, this is like all of my world is becoming this little thing. Mm-hmm. Kosciuszko, bro. So she, she was from Kosciuszko, which is, you know, you can say is it, you, it's a small town from Mississippi and like there couldn't be a farther culture, you know, Kosciuszko, Mississippi and Eugene, Oregon. They're just worlds apart. And like, um, some of that's been awesome. Some of that was like the initial just attraction was just like, who are you? You are this total mystery to me. And I think she felt some of the similar things towards me, just complete opposites attracting, um, and totally different personalities and, but beautifully compliment each other. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I still think that, I hope that's true. It seems to be true most days. And, uh, (laughs) but that's our story. We were definitely the opposites attract, you know, there's a lot of tension there at times, which is, I love, there's a lot of fireworks in our, in, in kind of our courtship dating. And even still, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of firepower. She's feisty. I'm opinionated. And, um, but it, it, the net result is like a really beautiful, uh, kind of tension. It's a, it's a, in a great salad dressing with the lemon juice and the fats and the umami. There's a lot of, counterpoints happening yeah. in our in our relationship. So when you guys are in these little fiery kind of, you know, firecracker moments, this is something I notice myself doing. So I'm curious what your experience is. I notice myself, whether it's just innately that I'm doing it or that it's what I observed my dad doing all growing up, but I take the stance that he always took. Whenever I heard he and my mom kind of getting like these little arguments, and he kind of takes this little route and I know it drives my mom crazy. And I, and then I hear myself, I can't even help myself, but take this sort of devil's advocate sort of route. I just, I morph into Mike McLaughlin. Do you do any of that? Do you, do you notice that that's happening? Oh yes. I mean, I am. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're the tools of with which you were formed, right. Are like, so, uh, so present <laughs> they're yeah. so i don't know if they ever not you know um and and my dad you know he would be pretty vocal about this and open but he came from a pretty abusive relationship so he mm-hmm. really broke the cycle of that in our mm-hmm. family yeah but he was but he was really intense at times and um but and did that come out in like uh intense meaning like you need to like behave or like you need to get good grades or you need just like like bolsterous kind of like like loud you know very very dynamic arguments you know like Mm -hmm. our family was very much that thing and in it's funny because me and annie both came from that whereas my mom you realize how much of the role of like kind of like the level headed like peacemaker she doesn't really have triggers like but what's funny is me and Annie both come from similar relationships like that. So there yeah. is no non-triggered kind of human in our relationship. So that's been something we've had to figure out is like, 
like when one person gets triggered, the other person tends to also. And like that is something we're really working on is like, how do we, <laughs> when one person isn't triggered. David is like, crying hey, right now. <laughs> yes. Like, how do we like, hey, like I, you're kind of losing it a little bit. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be the peacemaker right now and talk you out of your thing. No, it's like, oh, you're losing it. I'm losing it. Well, if you're losing it, I'm losing it. And then we're just, it's like. We are passionate and it's, it's, it honestly, we've gotten, it's been a really cool kids are a radical thing for that, for us, like where we used to like allow certain places, certain things to happen, you know, it doesn't take long before you look over and there's a little kid looking at you with wide eyes and you're like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, it, it's, it's so funny. You said that Matt, Annie and I are very similar. Like we, we have, we have, um, we have a, you know, one of the things that's so funny about being so close to John and Amy is that John and Amy are like the most calm and you hang out with them and you just feel your heart rate just slowly goes down. Like they're, you know, I've never seen John mad. Amy just only goes down speaks. and down until, until we're all asleep. <laughs> I will take that. I will take that. But you know, Amy only like laughs when she talks. I mean, they're just like the most easy. I've never seen them get mad at each other. And then there's Annie and I, which are very different. We are dynamic. We both are super opinionated. We're first children. We're both A type. We're both driven. It's like all the. It's like we can like John and Amy will leave, and we're like we're we're just the bad versions of them. Like they're like they're like the redeemed heaven like versions. We're the we're the thing before you pass through the gate, you know. And then you come on the other side. But 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 something you said that I think is so true when we, you know, so Annie and I, we, when we can fight, we can, we can, we can scrap, you know, like we're really, we really stay in our corners and we're scrapping. Kids were such an interesting addition to that because I'll never forget the first time that Ben, who's now nine, but he would have been like, you know, four at the time was like, daddy. And I, and this is in like one of those kind of heated moments. He's like, why is your face like this? Why is your, and he was doing his eyebrows scrunching, kind of a mean face. And I was like, uh, oh boy, this is, uh, not yeah. you know? And so now, now Finney and I, and I mean, thankfully, I think a lot of what was hard for us was just the young kids season. Like that is not our marriage by the grace of God is we've learned how to do that a lot better. It's not as combustible. Um, but, I, but I think the entry of kids was this crazy mirror of like, oh my gosh, like our kids are watching and really taking it. And I mean, Xana, you know, our little girl, when she was around the same age, was like, daddy, why are you mad at mama? And I was like, oh God, you know yeah. what I mean? It becomes this little um, reality check, you know, these little humans that walk around that they can feel that energy. And Well, because for a little while, you can kind of get away with it. They're, they're, they're yeah. young. Mm -hmm. But now our girls, Luca and Livy, they, they, especially Luca, She's at that phase that I actually remember when I was a kid, I remember experiencing this where if Amy and I, um, just hypothetically, because like Dave said, we don't actually fight, <laughs> but just hypothetically, I'm imagining what that would be like. <laughs> Luca would then, she's instantly like tuned in to what's going on. She mm. can hear the tone oh, of our bro. voices yeah. and she's like, are you guys fighting? And, you know, and we're like, we're, no, we're just talking. Sweetie, we're just talking. Go watch TV. You know, it, there, there was. I'm pretty sure there was a moment with one of ours where they said, "Can y'all just hug?" And we hugged, and you would have thought it was like literally, um, you know, the North like and the South mid Civil War. The two generals were like made to hug for uh, a yeah, and we're just kind of like hugging, you know, like oh, God. oh dear. yes, 
<laughs> and do you find, I mean, so, so y'all have two little girls. Yeah. Um, it's something that I think, I mean, John has two girls too. We have our one girl, Zanna, but girls are such an interesting addition to that because I do, you know, I think they pick up on those things very differently. There's a, there's much more of like a, to John's point with Luca, how she's, a, she's like, oh, the tone shift, you know, what have you found with your two girls? Like what has been, um, what are those things you've been like, wow, girls, this is interesting. That's a new thing that I'm learning. Uh, well, I mean, I grew up with, with brothers, three boys, yeah. <laughs> um, and no sisters. W- women were a mystery to me in all ways. And so just like practically, there's a lot of things you have to learn. Like, you know, I just didn't know, like, I just, there's, uh, which directions you have to wipe and think, I'm sorry. There's just like a lot. I didn't know, I know, I know, I know. with like <laughs> babies. I'm just like learning. Sorry. That's not important. But but it's true. it's true. There are but some practical true. things like that. It it is interesting having this like um uh it's I love it so much. I would have been I was scared on some level because I didn't know how to enter that world. But um yeah. I, I and it was it, but it has been unbelievably rich to have like I just didn't know. I didn't know what it'd be like to have daughters and I I literally couldn't imagine it any other way and it's like um Olive is so freaking smart and intuitive. And yeah, there is that, there is, I, you know, there is that kind of like woman's intuition, like emotionally more probably complex individuals than like the little boy banging something. I don't know. Right. So there, yeah. there is that dynamic of Olive is like so smart, our oldest, that yeah, like in moments she's picking up on things and it's it is a thing, man. I don't. I, I'm learning every day. I'm still figuring out. She's four, so we're just like every year. I, I feel like what you said, how you slowly get to. It's almost like a gift. Like you have this little child that can remember nothing. You could. They don't even know words you're using, so you can like say stuff. You and your wife are fighting. You could say whatever you wanted, really. But they're kind of like, and then slowly you're like, oh well, maybe I need to like, you know, like you slowly have accountability every age until yeah. you it's like allowing you to grow slowly and like kind of like deal with your stuff as you get older yeah and, and now all of us yeah she just knows what's going on and she'll kind of like make this noise like if she sense she gets it confused though sometimes she thinks i'm i kind of get passionate and talk so if i'm happy and when she or when i'm arguing she may misinterpret those sometimes still but she'll make this noise like she'll like 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 if she wants to, you know, like stop. So me and her mom are fighting. All of a sudden from the other room, I hear like this. Ah, ah, like, and I'm like, what damage am I doing to my child emotionally that she's learning this like car noise to like break our attention span? Like, so like what is, what is Olive's like 28 year old version of that going to yeah, be? Like, is she is it like the same be- sound? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. she's in a fight with her husband. She's like, ah. he's like, oh, okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like like our oldest uh, can't quite tell time yet. But we we have lost so many of those things like you're referring to, like, oh, we can still she's a baby. All but, you know, we can do whatever. Now it's like, oh, now she knows what we're saying. Now she can understand and now it's like I feel like our last thing is time because I can lie to her, which I, I every day almost I, I'm like, it's been five minutes. And she's, you know, she's not at the point now where she can look at the clock and be like, no, it hasn't been or whatever. Oh, dude, that's like, a, it's that's time a to go to bed. It's only 630. Yeah, yeah. You know, she just does, that's awesome. 
that, that I'll never forget Ben was like that. And then like it got to where the bedtime was where it got the worst. She'd be like, it's time to go to bed. And they'd be like, okay, but dad says time to go to bed. And then Ben yes. started like, it's 647. I'm like, yeah. and that's now bedtime. So I am dreading that day when that happens. I like, I'm, I'm texting our teachers being like, can you skip that unit until like fourth, fifth grade? It's like, we got a good thing going. <laughs> yes. So what, I mean, you kind of just spoke this, but when you, when you think about your girls, what have been the things that surprised you? Like, and and not even pertaining to girls, but just with kids, like, has there been anything for you and Annie that you've been like, wow, I did, this is new. This was unforeseen. Uh, I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, which I don't know if this is an answer, but I remember me and Oliver sitting on the backyard and you, you're like, I love your mom. I want to have a kid. I want to express our love for each other. And it's kind of what you do as people. And I don't know, just like, that sounds like a fun journey to go down and mm. like grow our thing. And, and I remember I was sitting on the front porch or the back porch with Olive and we're listening to this song and she's laughing with me and we're like joking. And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm, my eyes are like te- filling up with tears and I'm like, oh, you're going to be like my friend too mm. one day. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, like. Oh, you're like, this is like, I'm bringing friends into the world. Like, (laughs) we're probably going to go to a concert together someday. And like, oh, our like tribe of like, your community is getting bigger. And that was shocking to me because I don't, you know, I was modeled that actually. I look at my dad. He's one of my friends today. My mom is one of my best friends. Like, I love them so much. They're, uh, they're a part of, I like enjoy hanging out with them, going, getting dinner with them, which is Mm -hmm. not maybe normal. I don't know. Maybe that's normal, but that is the shocking thing to me is like you're you it's selfishly also kids are the worst thing to do on some level like they're a pain in the butt like i never <laughs> got up before nine o'clock ever as a musician until they came into my life and yeah. now i literally can't stay up past 9 30 because i'd like feel like in my head i get headaches because i'm having a panic attack or but uh, like they are the worst thing for your life. Actually, they're hard on your marriage. They're all these things. But then uh-huh. weird, weirdly, there's like the also the self. There's like the selfish thing where you're growing your tribe, and you're like, there are these people that are going to be in your life for the rest of your life if you do it decently. If you care about it, you respect them, and you treat them right, and you yeah. cultivate your relationship with them. They're either going to be like your best friends, and you have these like friends you're gaining, which is like was mind blowing to me. I never thought about that. But as we're laughing, listening to the song, I I'm struck with that revelation. You know, it, it's it, it, something that I feel this way. First of all, that's beautiful. I wrote that. Yeah. Down. I literally I teared up. And then immediately heard Michael W. Smith singing in the background. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's the so, song they were listening to it is, but, yeah. just on loop. I think, I think the thing that I also realized, and I don't know if you feel this way with your girls, like, with with Ben, my oldest, uh, you have a big Arsenal uh, football club fan. Uh, go Gunners! And now both my boys, they're just indoctrinated. They have posters, T-shirts every holiday or every uh, Christmas and or birthday. They just want new kits. It's like, and I did this to them. So it's not just you're bringing friends in the world. You're bringing these friends that you get to sort of like super make where you're, you're like, you're oh, programming yeah. them. <laughs> and I feel the weight of that so much in, in, in the, in the soccer thing is a microcosm, but I think it's really profound in that. I'm like, I'm sort of choosing this joy and pain for these little people because in sports is just such a small, but it is, it's like, I could have told them to follow like these clubs that just never lose. 
and they're always amazing and they'd have had a better life maybe, but I don't like those clubs. Now they're following this club that is kind of up and down, you know, and, but, but it really is a microcosm of a bigger thing, which is you really are bringing these kids into, into the world that almost are a cheat code to friendship. It, it, to your point though, as long as you're kind of doing a good, decent job and they don't want to just rebel against it all. And then you've done, you've literally just created like arch enemy, but it's like, you know, there's all this weight that I feel that I sort of realized too late that I'm like, oh my gosh, all this stuff I like, they're just going to like for a while. And they may change that later, but for a while it's going to be like, I mean, me and my three dude, like me and it's the three Barnes dudes sitting on the couch watching the game every time there's one on. It's the best thing ever. You know, do you, do you think about that with like your career at all? Like, like would, if your kids wanted to do music or something, have you, have you walked that out? I, I, so the you other know, day, Luca wrote a song on the piano. And part of the reason why I, we, we bought a piano, which is, was pretty recently, I just bought it like two years ago, um, was I wanted... Been, you hadn't been playing for long. That makes sense. Right. right. <laughs> I felt like it was finally time to buy a piano. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted them to go grow the up. Rooms at Belmont, you know, just going in there. <laughs> exactly. Just send them down the street. Dude, you laugh. John talks about this all the time, but tell me you couldn't write a killer song in a practice room right now. I feel oh like those God. places are just... That's where I wrote all it. of those piano songs off my first record was at Belmont Practice Rooms. I'm I, telling had, you, I didn't own a piano. But go on. Your son wrote it. He wrote. He got a piano. I want to know. Luca, our daughter. Oh, sorry. Luca. So we got a, we got right. a piano. I knew that. We got a piano and so that they could just have one in the house. I just wanted it to be, you know... And honestly, half the time, it's annoying, as you would imagine. I mean, it's just like, there's nowhere you can go in the house to get away from the piano. But she wrote a song on, and I know I'm, you know, everyone can roll their eyes right now, but like, it's a good, it's a good song. She's eight years old. She wrote this little song and it's like, it has a hook to it. And there's, of course, there's a part of me that's like, I think I could kind of take that hook. <laughs> a little bit. I'll give her a little bit of the publishing, you know. But she wrote this song. It has words to it. She like Amy made a, a video of her playing it. And it was it was a moment. It was like like that moment, like you're talking about, where I I hadn't even of course I would love for them to be musicians or whatever. I don't I don't really care. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. But then there was this moment where she actually did this thing and created this thing. And I'm like, my heart just explodes. Cause I'm like, Oh, this could be, this could happen. We could have music together, you know? And I'm curious, what, what was that thing for you and your dad? What, what's the, like you and your dad sitting on the couch watching Arsenal. What's that version for you growing up? Uh, for us, it was soccer. It, he would, at, he'd be at every like, um, he was awesome, man. He worked a lot, <clears throat> but he had a, a teal cabriolet, which is hilarious. Um, oh a Volkswagen God. cabriolet. He got it from some client. He always had these like hookups from clients. We'd have like these weird things that weren't quite. <laughs> well, it was a teal cabriolet. Like it's like. <laughs> sure, right. It's not the black it, one. He got it for a killer deal. Um, Did he represent the stripper by chance? <laughs> <laughs> uh, th that was the cherry red one. But um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he would come to every soccer practice and 
I'm, he would on his way home. He'd, he'd sit there, and even at soccer practice, he'd be waiting to pick me up. And that was our thing. I think we we um, that we really connected over was my soccer, and he was so supportive. He was always there, and yeah, yeah, that's cool. You know, I was going to say this a minute ago, and, I, and I, just to backtrack for a second, one of the things that I think is really cool about, and it kind of speaks a little bit. It sounds like your upbringing with your parents. Matt, it's like I do one of the things that I love about growing up or having my kids grow up in Nashville. I, I wrote with Summer Overstreet yesterday, who's a writer here in town, and um, her dad is Paul Overstreet, who's had a bunch of hits. And and I'm always fascinated by people who grew up in Nashville with a creative parent, like especially in the music industry, because I'm like, that's what my kids are. What was that experience like? What'd you like, not like? And so far, a hundred out of a hundred percent, a hundred out of a hundred times, so hundred percent. I don't know if y'all, y'all can do that math as quick as I can, but um, kids are like, it was the best thing ever. And, and that's not because they went on to do music. Yeah. It's just because I think we, we talked about it yesterday because I was, Summer kept laughing because I was just barraging her with these questions. But, you know, I, I found that there's something really unique about having um, a parent that does music because I think like we were saying, it, it just, it's like the possibility for what you can do with your life turns into like this huge option wheel. It's no longer, we do things that are everything but the arts, you know? And, and I don't think the parents say that because they don't want their kids to be, maybe some do. I think it's more just because it's just uncharted territory. It's like, yeah. I don't know how to coach you in that. I don't know what to right. expect for you, how to help you in it. But I think what's so great about, parents that do what we do and my hope with my kids would say the same is that it just sort of and it sounds like again your parents kind of already did this anyway matt but it's just kind of like no you can do whatever man come on you want to do music rock the mic i can help you out but man if you want to be an accountant rock on be a youth minister whatever but but it's suddenly all the options get a little more open as opposed to like with the traditional yeah i know this language i can speak it to your yeah. business world and so i think for me one of the things that i get so excited about having kids living in nashville the community that nashville has is that thing where it's like your daughter, you know, Luca comes in and goes, I wrote a song. And you're like, oh, yeah, but you probably did because you saw me writing them. You know what I mean? It's not – that's a spoken normal language. Whether she wants to keep doing that or not is up to her then. It's not, honey, I don't know what to tell you or – that we don't do that here. That's that's what, you know, like uh, that's what crazy hippies do or something. You know, it's yeah. like – it's a, it's kind of a known entity, you know. When you you kind of have like a, a avenue – yeah, it is interesting because you I meet a lot of kids and, and you're, you do maybe – give them an opportunity greater than you had if they want to do that. Like I can teach you how to write a song mm -hmm. or like there's skill set there that you'll be picking up. And I do think about that. I'm like, and then there's like the weird pressure of like, well, if you're, <clears throat> if you're James Taylor's son or something, is that mm -hmm. like, are you burdening them? Like if, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I luckily I'm not James Taylor, so I don't have to worry about that. But, um, but I mean, there is that, I, I think about that often. And like, I remember when I had all of one of the, weirdest things I was struck with when, when I found out I was having a girl, I was like, well, if she wants to pursue music, does that mean she has to like do it differently? Like, does she have to sexualize mm -hmm. herself or like, you know, you watch the path women have to take a lot of times in the music industry and it's not fair compared to what a dude does. And, and like, mm -hmm. I, I remember I posted something about that on Instagram. Of course I got like ripped apart by people that like, <laughs> left you liberal or something i'm like no i'm just saying like i yeah it, it's like some sort of feminist you know like like the true sense of that word of like do you believe women have the same opportunities as men and like i was thinking about music and and 
what what would her journey be like if it you know i never really thought about it that way clearly until it's like your daughter and you're like whoa if she wanted to go down this path god if she had to walk into that guy's office that i went into creep me out like what would it look like for her i don't know i just uh it's an interesting journey for me to go on it's like what if she wants to go down this path like me what can I teach her? What'll be hard for her? I don't know. I just been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah, like, yeah. You're doing the same thing. Like we're picking up a guitar, wanting to write songs. She can't really play it, but she'll kind of pretend and, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so side so, note, because you brought, you brought this up. I'm curious just how, like when you say that you, you, you posted something, like I posted something the other day that was a picture of my daughter. They're watching the inauguration. And it, to me personally, I felt like this was a picture that superseded politics this is not a partisan thing this is my this is me having this moment with my daughters seeing the very first uh female vice president be sworn in and and if i you know i lose a couple hundred followers instantly get some comments all that kind of stuff i'm just curious what is your when that kind of thing happens to you how do you react uh like i i don't like it i am by nature does do people like it actually? That's a dumb answer, but well, no, I think there are people who, who enjoy the, the well, not enjoy, but but they're okay with the repartee. I, I I would say that's one of my weaknesses as a human, honestly. Like I yeah. think I am a Enneagram three. If we're gonna go there to that personality test, um, I love achieving, I love accomplishing, I love people thinking I'm cool. That's probably why I spent spent those four hours looking like n- didn't even try going to the coffee shop. Um, <laughs> That's actually not true. That's it's true. Just, You're always there four hours after they open. I know. It's funny. No, John, the secret is you just buy clashing tones of the same color and you just look, you look kind of oh, cool, kind of oh, interesting. There it is. Just by oh, only, just by, and green. I just, just wear weird clashing versions of green and people are like, whoa, you look cool. That's the Next time you see me at the coffee shop, I'm going to be technically doing that. And you're going to be like, oh, actually, that's the one way you can't do it. So, John, one thing, <laughs> camouflage doesn't apply. But I love your energy. <laughs> it can't be two different kinds of camouflage. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that there are, you know, we all have artist friends, mutual friends who that is part of their online presence. Which is great. I don't think it. I don't think that we should feel necessarily pressure to do that. And I think it's great when people do. But they they're very they make their opinions known. Yeah. And and they're just they get tons of backlash and they get in you know discussions and arguments as as much of a discussion as you can have on social media. Man, but I feel like you. I I just am not built for that. It affects me too much. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get, I, I get this. I, I posted something the other day, and uh, I mean, I think everybody was like, "How do you not post something about either the, you know, when they they marched on the Capitol, or you know, between the inauguration?" Just it was a lot of things that were low hanging fruit. And for my brain, it's going to be sense of humor. So I was like, I posted a picture of the dude with the crazy raccoon hat. And I said, weird place for Jameer Kwai to drop a new single, but props. And I thought that was hysterical. And I ran it through everything in my brain. I was like, who could be offended by this tweet? And I was like, okay, one of my best buds sent it to him. He's like, I think that's hysterical post. And I was like, okay, I asked Annie. She actually said, don't post it, which I thought was funny. <laughs> but I was like, I think it's okay. And oh my gosh, it was like 
everybody was, it was 90% were like, dude, I needed a laugh today. Thanks so much. Which was the purpose. I was like, but man, that 10% that just went, you know, full throttle, like too soon, dude, insensitive. And I was like, well, what is it insensitive to though? And I eventually pulled it because I was like, this is just not a hill I want to die on. But it's just so it's, there's just, it's hard to, it's, it's, I don't, I, I, I'll say I don't, I don't enjoy it either. I, I, I mean, face to face, we can have a conversation. That's a total different thing. But when you're just right. sort of like at the mercy of, you know, people getting, <laughs> getting ripped to shreds by people who, I thought that was so funny too. Well, and I, I wonder if like, I, I, I challenge myself. I'm like, are you scared? Do you care what people think too much? And I, I think that partly that's true of some of the stuff that I run from conflict in certain areas. I just don't want to be a part of it. Also, though, it's funny, like my career and what I've tried to do is like, you know, a lot of what I'm doing is trying to kind of build this like bridge between someone Mm. emotionally. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of what I do in my music is almost like I've learned from kind of my mom being a marriage therapist is like you're you're going somewhere vulnerable wise. You're trying to be vulnerable emotionally and lead in a way that like allows someone to kind of vicariously feel that journey and experience it and maybe touch their own emotions. And you're like, you're always trying to like build this thing between you and your audience where yeah. there's like this yeah. intimacy and there's like, a, like a vulnerability, you know, I'm just like very vulnerable. And so to, to like put something out there and then have it be this like debate or fight is just very, I don't know. It's just very foreign to the, what I've been trying to do this whole time. But I, I have been challenging myself a lot on that because you're like, why is it so painful if someone doesn't like what you do or doesn't like something you post? Like that is an interesting journey I've been asking myself lately. Yeah. Well, I think for I don't have me, answers. I just, I see social media and we, you know, last thought on this, I see there's so much limitation to social media. Totally. So I really try to, you know, that, that picture that I posted the other day, um, you know, again, I just felt like it was, it was something that obviously it's a historic moment in our country, but as a dad of two daughters, I, you know, like I got them out of school. Um, you know, they're doing virtual school. They like, they stopped their classes. They came down. I wanted to, I wanted them to see this, you know? And so to me, I'm like, this is a big enough moment. I just, I want to celebrate it, you know? And, but, but I do feel like I just personally feel like there's not going to be a discussion here. You know, it's just not going to happen in the text strand of a, of an Instagram post, you know? So. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I agree. That's, we should do a whole other podcast on that. It'd It'd be interesting to have like our friends like you, Matt, who sort of have social media presences and how you conduct yourself in a way, especially last time I'll say, any and I read she was reading to me out loud um the letters from a Birmingham jail Martin on MLK Day the other day. And I just was like, man, this is just so convicting as a white dude, because it's all, you know, to your point about privilege and all that stuff earlier, Matt. I know it's kind of a different thing, but and then I think, gosh, how should that affect my social media presence and what does that look like? And then, you know, I vacillate so hard between, well, that's it's a fantasy land. That's not real life. Like social media, there's no way to conduct a meaningful conversation. I'm never going to convert somebody to some line of thought because I post a quote 
yeah. by somebody. That's all interpersonal. But then I'm like, yeah, but it also is a chance to at least it's so it's just that never ending. Totally. And it's you're yeah. feeling both of those things. And like, yeah, it's also your way of selling things like it's your it's your avenue of like letting people know what you're doing is your job. So if like you're a plumber, you know, or everyone that's listening has a job, they make money probably on some level or someone in they their household makes money. And it's like, yeah, it's also that like part of that thing. So you you only have so much bandwidth you want to require of someone. You don't want to be like, listen to me talk about every subject in the world. And by the way, can you like <laughs> give me five minutes for this? I don't know. Like I just feel I've never been good at like demanding a ton of someone's attention. It's like I use social media almost like, hey, man, I, this is happening too. If you want to check it out, no, no pressure. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, like just if you care about me, I'm letting you know this is what I did. Uh, and I, I've never felt very good at like asserting it as my platform to the world. Um, I don't know. I, that might be my age. That might be like my bent as a human, my weak spine as a, uh, <laughs> well, I can't even read his own reviews. I don't know. I just, it's, it's a yeah. combination of all that maybe that I'm, that I'm, well, what, you know, John said this the other day, we had a long conversation about this and John said something I thought was really great. When, when you're thinking about, I'd rather that be the last thing that happens in a, life of doing something. And then the last thing I think it's like, oh, I should post that I went to that thing and did the thing or I'm involved in this thing that I'm actively doing with my real life than to post something, forget about it, and never do anything about it. You know what I mean? Because I right. feel like, well, that's a way right. that people can know I care about it. Well, no, yeah. the way people can know I care about it is I do it. I'm actively yeah. doing those things that, that instead of, and so I think it's, it's, but then, you know, you get that dilemma. You're like, well, you know, I don't want people to not know that I care about it because I just yeah. do it in my real life. So it's just the never ending. Anyway. So, okay. So a few more things and we'll release you to um, getting back to playing soccer in the backyard. The um, We've talked a lot about your dad, which is so fun. And it's fun. Cause I, I don't know your dad. I've met him a few times. I don't know him well, but you know, my little brother and him play golf and he, uh, Brad always talks about how much he loves your parents. <laughs> like if they ever come up, he's like, dude, they, the carnies are like the coolest family. Like you've got to, so I always feel jealous of that, but when we think about your dad and then with your, it's kind of a double question. Like what are ways you think um, you are similar to him? And then what, what are takeaways you have from watching him that you've found have sort of assimilated into how you think about your family? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I am definitely split in the middle a lot. I have a lot of my dad and a lot of my mom. Um, I would have thought historically I'm much more like my mom, but um some of like my humor and my business sense and uh you know some of that is really my, my dad's actually a great writer too so it comes hmm. from him my mom was a was a pastor and a and the head of a counseling department and like the first female student body president of her of her high school and um did so many like she is the like we are bent a lot of ways in the trajectory of what we've wanted with our lives and like mm -hmm. We've gone after things, but she, you know, they moved to town and my mom like sets up some listening party in their backyard and then the whole neighborhood shows up and they're throwing like a songwriter's night. And then she got their local congressman elected single-handedly by like going door to door and just like campaign. She's just like a mover and shaker. And a lot of my, that kind of vision and the creative side came from her and in her kind of, she has big vision. And, and my dad was always the like steady, um, super hardworking, like 
Cal Ripken of life. Just like get on, get on base. Like just keep doing it. Like a single. Like you're not. We're not. You don't have to swing for the fences. Just get on base, man. Like and just keep doing it and do it for twenty years. And like you look up and you'll be like, wow, I really built something cool. Yeah. And I, I definitely come from both of those worlds and been formed by both of them very much. Huh? What kind of dad do, would you say you are? Like, what? what it, 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 you know, I know that's kind of a, that's an inside itself question, but you know. Uh, wow, that made me uncomfortable just even saying that. Um, which maybe that's bad. Uh, what kind of dad am I? I am a. I think I'm a pretty affectionate dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am. Uh. I feel like I really do can the positive affirmation speaking kind of encouragement over my daughters is like comes naturally to me. Mm. Hopefully I'm inspiring in some of my fun kind of like passion. Some of what I do in life is, you know, through music and other things like I see we, we share in a lot of those fun moments. Mm. Um, that's a very interesting question. Can you guys answer that? Have you ever had to answer that question? We don't answer our own questions. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a tough question. Um, John, how would you answer that question? I mean, it's tough to kind of like put it into... Have, have uh, you guys ever had to answer that question before on your podcast? No, directly? we actually... we prayed that no one would ever flip it back on us yeah it's been um, a good run so thank yeah. you guys for listening it's been dadville and it is it's tough i would say i'm definitely um i mean my dad was very affectionate and um and i'm definitely very affectionate with with my girls and like to ad nauseum like i am just like all over them all the time and I'm goofy dad and, uh, you know, but I, but I do feel like I'm, I'm kind of the, I'm more of a disciplinarian than I thought that I would be. And, and that Amy thought that I would be. Um, so that's sort of like the, but, and, but I actually, I think that in these ways that I'm saying, I am like my dad was, you know, like this is, I'm not exactly the same as, as my dad, but, but he, I'm falling like right in step with kind of the big bullet points uh that i grew up with so is it amazing how you never you like go with your wife you 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 meet this girl you're like hey you're kind of hot um i like those way those jeans look on you and you're like hey let's go on a date you're like wow you're actually a really cool person and then you're like we should date and then you're like i really like you we should get married but you're never like so what's your take on um discipline styles like do you believe in spanking or not like how how long is a normal timeout like you don't talk about that till you're like all of a sudden there's this child there and you're like exactly wait, wait, what do you believe like no no we're not doing it that way and she's like yes this is how we're doing it and you're like no i'm not allowing my children you know yeah that that is that is one of the things that um that's one of the things we love about this podcast, truthfully, is it, there's this hysterical thing where we all kind of like get into this and you just don't know what you're doing. It's like one of the few things in life I think that you do where you willingly enter into something with zero information about how to actually achieve that thing. And, and there's just yeah. a, there's a... Well, I feel like even if, like if Amy and I had had that conversation, which makes a lot of sense to have, if you, you know, like you're saying, like you, you worry about all these 
seemingly minute little things that bring you together. And then, but, but you have no idea where, you know, she stands on X, Y, and Z, the big things. But I, I mean, I was 21 when Amy and I started dating. Like I would have had no idea how to even answer those questions. And I think she could have asked me at, at 30 and I'd have no idea. You know what I mean? It's like, you just kind of throw yourself in and I don't even know if you should try to have those conversations early on, you know? Right. Yeah. So just jump in, see what yeah. happens. Um, Matt, this is, we've taken so much of your time. So we, we, we end this with two big questions. Um, and that wasn't even one of them. If you thought that was a stinger, just buckle up for these two. Um, so, so I'll ask you when I'll let John ask you the other one. So I'll ask the first one. What is the one thing you want your kids to know? Hmm. Uh, I mean that they're loved, I guess. I don't know. Is that yeah. overly simple? No, no, no. Uh, no. yeah. Regardless of what they do or what they, where they go, you know, that mm. they, as they are created and who they are made to be, mm. they are loved, I guess, would be mm. my goal. I love yeah. that. It's a That sounds really simple, but I, I, I do think that is unbelievably profound. I think if someone, I think that's the, one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me genuinely was that I never, ever doubted that. Well, I think what's really important what you added is that they are loved as they are, yeah. which is a, which is a really okay, important. So that's not, sorry, so that's different from my childhood. There was, <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. I should yeah. have. Okay. So I rescind that. You are loved as long as. Yes. yes. And a long list that I had memorized. Subtle difference. A little song yeah. I sang to make it. I'm sure I knew it. Some hand signals. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> loved if you do. No ponytails, earrings, tattoos on your forehead. <laughs> no cigarette. Oh my God. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> okay. Last question. What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? God, seriously? This is not a real question. <laughs> I mean, what is your deepest fear, John? Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst thing you ever done? Yeah. <laughs> Are there any felonies in your life that no one knows about? <laughs> um, what do what what do I want them to say about me mm-hmm. at your funeral? Uh, I would like them to say that he loved people well around mm-hmm. him. Hopefully, majoring in um their mom. I don't that's know. That's great. That's there great. Is. is that the same answer? I'm giving you the like the the Pinterest um quotes <laughs> for the <laughs> I laugh. I that's wish what we're looking for. We laugh we're, like I mean no we edit watching. these down to about five minutes. So that's, that's what, what I <laughs> You know what I do yeah, want to say it. though, honestly? Oh, I don't know. I mean that's just that's hard, right? I don't yeah. just, um but it's like try to be a good friend. Uh something i'm working on every day mm. loving people well mm. yeah that and is. and was a multi-platinum selling oh my gosh start back at the top 1.6 <laughs> million albums so you're like well i'd like for them to just read that sheet we'll update it but oh my gosh you you are though i will say you are a dad that is i love seeing you around the neighborhood you're always with Olive, and now you know you're always with your kids. 
Uh, and uh, I, I, I think you should know that. Like, you should know that you are seen as a great dad. Like, people, whether they know who you are or not, I think, you know, our little neighborhood here, you know, we're all, like we said at the beginning, we're all just a couple blocks away from each other right now in the same neighborhood. You see people around the neighborhood that you just know from the neighborhood. And, uh, and you're one of those guys where it's like, he seems like a good dad. It's always with his kids, always hanging, always with like slightly clashing colors. Yeah, that, <laughs> he's like a uh, uh, a version of Kermit the Frog that gets lighter as you go down his legs on the torso. He's like a version of Kermit the Frog that's he's been standing in waist deep water all day. <laughs> water all day. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's oh. Matt, thank you so much for doing this. Yes, this was so great. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, man. I was incredibly nervous. Uh, you know, well, you stuck it. If the if the you three and you needs to hear it, you killed it. You delivered. <laughs> you achieved. I do. I achieved. <laughs> man, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>